Thank you for joining us on the CFF Podcast. Today, Pastor Pablo Martinez will be inspiring you with a message from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy and welcome home. In the previous, uh, uh, in the previous service, I wasn't able to go in depth as I'm going to be able to go with you guys here because obviously translation and um, you guys are just smarter, I think. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you guys okay? Yeah? Good Lord, this feels strange. I love it. It's not in my comfort zone. Uh, and then um, I think uh, a lot of the people that came to the first baptism, uh, to the baptism with their family, are probably uh, a lot of people when they get baptized, I don't know if you guys in Latino culture, it's just another reason to eat and, and party. So they didn't, they didn't want to share with us. So anyway, <laughs> chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. You guys got it? 1 Samuel's right before 2 Samuel, if you guys want to look for it. <laughs> you guys okay? All right, good, good, good. I went to preach to a church that was really slow. You guys ever talk to people that are slow that you say something and then they catch it like five minutes later? You know what I'm talking about? That's me, somebody said. <laughs> no, no, no. But then there's other people you talk to and they catch it before you're even there. And I realized it has more to do with attention and engagement than intelligence. So I just encourage you to be attempt, not necessarily to me, but to what God will want to say to your life. I promise you I won't talk out of you know, my experience or out of what I think I know, but out of the Word of God. And so that has a lot more weight than some self-help guy. Does that make sense? There's a lot, of, a lot of good words out there, but there's only one Word of God. And so if you just hear the Word of God, I know it could change your life. Amen? So First uh, Samuel chapter 7. And the, and the men of Kiriath-Hearim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. Now, and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath Harim, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth, from you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. It doesn't mean anything to most of us because we don't know what Ashtaroths are or Baals or Kerith, Garim, or Mishpah. Anyway, then Samuel said, gather all the Israelites to Mishpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. Samuel's the prophet. He's the guy leading the, the, the people. They gathered to, to Mishpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord for the homies who are no longer with him. And fasted on the day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mishpah. Check this out. This is where it gets good. Now when the Philistines heard that the son of Israel had gathered to Mishpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, for he may save us from the hand of Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out to Mishpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. Verse 12 is the emphasis of today. Then Samuel took a stone and set it before Mishpah and Shen, 
and named it Ebenezer. This means the Lord has helped us, or thus far the Lord has helped us. If you heard the name Ebenezer, it's probably Ebenezer Scrooge from Disneyland, right? Is this Disneyland? Yeah? The, the Scrooge? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the name Ebenezer is actually a very powerful name. It's an incredible name. The name of Ebenezer means the Lord is with us or he's able to help us. And um, this is the name assigned to a rock. When I was reading the Bible, I was like, why in the world would you name something? I mean, I used to have a car that I paid a dollar for when I was in college. I literally paid a buck for it. It was falling apart. It looked like a dollar car, too. And uh, it was horrible, you know. I, I think, yeah, yeah, I, when the gas prices would go up, I'd get really happy because my car would increase in value. It was a horrible car. But we named it um, Gary because then we would give it value. You know, it's like Gary, and it, was, it became this thing in college where anyone can use the car. The keys were always there, and anyone can use Gary. It was really cool. But anyway, so this car got me to college. It was a thing I love. But we normally name things that, you know, we really love and dear. But the reason they named this stone is because it was a memorial. Give me the name of a memorial in the United States. Somebody. The Lincoln Memorial. Thank you. Uh, give me another memorial. The 9-11 Memorial, Jefferson, thank you. I, I've never been to, to these memorials. I, I wish I, I did. But um, has anybody ever been to the 9-11 Memorial? Yeah. I heard it's insane. I heard it's beautiful. You've been there, Paige? <gasps> right? But I heard some, or, you know, all these, all these amazing memorials. What do they mean? I mean, uh, you mentioned the, the Washington? Jefferson, Jefferson. Yeah, amazing memorials, right? What are memorials for? What do they do? Remind us, right? We have such short-term memory for good things. We have such a long memory for horrible things. I wish I could show you a picture of it, but I was looking at this meme where they have a floppy disk. Anybody know what a floppy disk is? All right, good. Who does not want to know what a floppy disk is? Honestly. Wow, Chuck. Make it, oh, wow. Okay, good, good. So a floppy disk is this old little disk that you stick in your computer, and it would have 1.4 megabytes. I think it's the, the amount, 1.4 mega? Mega. That's like a minute and a half worth of song. That is literally 1.4. Was it 1.4? Okay, good. 1.4 cross-check for me if you guys want. But Oh, two word doc, yes, without pictures on it. Yeah, yeah. See, it's crazy. Then after that, we came up with something else, right? We came up, after that came what? The CD. Now, that was huge. Well, we still had, well, we had the zip drives and all that, but nobody used them. But we're talking about the CD. How many megabytes did a CD hold or does it hold? 650, six, yeah, 650, up to 700 megabytes, right? And that's kind of big for back then. But then all of a sudden, we came out with the DVD. How much does the DVD hold? 4.7 gigabytes, right? And then you have a, a, a Blu-ray. Let's not even, let's skip to that one. Now, now then you have the flash drives, right? Little flash drives. Now, you say, oh, those hold so much. But for the average people that don't spend a million dollars on a flash drive, 128 gigabytes, right? 64, 120, maybe 32. But then you have, now you have the hard drives, right? How much does a hard drive hold now? Terabytes, right? How many terabytes? Two, ten, let's just say four or five for the average, four, three, four, right? Let's just, let's stick to two, four terabytes. Let me ask you a question. Man, men, please listen. How much information does an angry girlfriend hold? 
<laughs> One million terabytes, you're going to be in trouble. An angry wife. Okay, okay. Listen, listen. Oh, there it is. One million terabytes. Terabyte. Okay, okay, okay. So I know that's a joke and you guys don't get mad at me. Women, don't throw me in the pool. Please don't throw me in the pool. I do this because my wife's not here today. But, uh, but I understand. Look, isn't it easy to remember all the negative things that have happened? Dude, it's so easy to remember all the things that somebody's done against, especially when it marked us. When it's done something that, that, oh, I'll never forgive this person. Or you may not even say it, but every time something reminds you of that, you, you jump up. Makes sense, you get really froggy when somebody starts talking about a specific subject. We remember our own failures. We are so hard on ourselves sometimes. And I'm not trying to tell you to take it easy on you, because sometimes you do need to be hard on you if you're ever going to change. Amen. But the truth is we're really, really hard. And what the people of Israel did, they did something so wise, so beautiful, is that they built an altar. Now, for Catholic background, an altar is not necessarily something that you want to be building around, especially if you don't want to have altars around your house, right? But this is a memorial, an altar, a memorial, whatever you want to call it. They put a stone and they named it. And they said, because this stone will remind us of three things, specific things that we never want to lose in our lives. The first thing that this memorial will remind them of is where they fell from, is the things that they've messed up in. See, the people of Israel by this time, I'll give you a little bit of background, which I couldn't get into in the other service. This is super important that Ichabod, the name Ichabod is super important. If you read the previous chapters, it's super, super key. It means that there is this one kid whose name meant the Lord is not with us, or the presence of God is not with us anymore. Ichabod is something you never want to name your child, right? You don't want to name a kid, hey, the presence of God is not with you. Check that out. This is crazy. The reason they named this kid Ichabod is because that same day his, his, his dad dies, his grandpa dies, his uncle dies. Pretty much everyone who, and this is the priestly family, by the way. Samuel, you know, these are, these are the, the, Eli, the, the, the Eli, the priest. These, these priests, listen to this, they all die the same day. They lose this battle. 34,000 men die that day. They all get annihilated. And they bring out the ark of God in hopes that the ark of God would bring back victory to them. Guess what happened? The ark of God gets taken from them. So they try to say, God, help us. And God that day did not help them. And to me, that's crazy because we always want to hear that God will always help you. And the fact of the matter is that God loves you always. But sometimes... It's going to be really hard for me to even say, but I think we all need to hear it. Sometimes it's better for you that God doesn't help you in what you're asking him to help you. Because then you will learn a lesson that you won't get yourself into that situation again. Does that make sense? I tell you this. Um, these people were trying to use God as an ATM. They were trying to say, God, help me now. By the way, we have all these other gods. We have Ashtaroth. We had we, the names that I told you didn't mean anything, the Asherah. Right? We have these idols we have built for ourselves. But we expect God to help us when we want him to help us. Is there a boyfriend and girlfriend here? Anybody here? Boyfriend, girlfriend? Any two? Anybody in a relationship? Chris and Doris. Dory. Hey, Chuck and Priscilla. All right, let's do that. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, Chuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you as an example for a second. Um, is Marcos here? Ah, he got lucky. All right, go, go, go. Okay, so Chuck and Priscilla, let's just pretend, okay, Priscilla, that um, Chuck doesn't call. He does whatever he wants. Let's just pretend that he's not attentive at all. He doesn't give you anything, you know, but, but, but Chuck only calls you when he's short on cash. Okay, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah gold, like a gold digger. Say, gold digger. All right, okay, go, go, go. <laughs> you should have seen Friday's message. It was awesome. All right, okay, so let's just say that. How would you feel about that? Used. Right, right, right. Unloved. He probably wouldn't be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. But you guys have a relationship. Now you guys have a baby. You guys do life together. You guys help each other out. Um, can it get better? Of course. I'm sure it can get better. But you guys definitely love each other, right? Now, have you ever been short on cash a day? Maybe your ATM didn't work, something like that. say, hey, dude, do you have 10 bucks? Have you ever had to ask her for five, 10 bucks? Yeah? Okay, good. No shame in that because I had to too, too. But how did you feel that day? No, no, Priscilla, how did you feel? Not a big deal, right? Here, I got 20. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's a mutual thing. What you just told me is precisely what happens in Christianity, in our lives. We are so ashamed of asking God for anything because of the way we've been dealing with him. We have had a relationship with him where we only go to him for a hookup. We only go to him because we need something. I don't care if it's ministerial. I don't care if it's, if it's for God that you are asking him for something. But do you have a relationship with him? See, if I have no relationship with you, Angel, if we don't have a friendship, it's so hard to ask for anything. It's, it's actually wrong for me to do that. We called it gold digger, right, or a sugar mama there. You know, like it is wrong in so many levels to ask without a relationship. Now, we would never do that to each other. And if we did, we all recognize it's wrong. But with God, we feel like it's totally okay. And this is what the people of Israel were doing. They were finally getting their butt kicked. And they said, finally, God, now we need you. And so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this religious thing. And we're going to pretty much put the cross up there. Because the cross is going to save us. Well, okay, that's fine. But they're trying to put the ark of God which represented the presence of God. And they thought that was going to save them. And the fact of the matter is this, that that will not get you out of a pinch. It won't get you out of a bind. A symbol won't do it. Believe it or not, as much as you want, even the presence of God is not what we're after. We're after a relationship with God. Does that make sense? And so these people built an altar. They built this, this Ebenezer to remind them that they should not use God. Because God, as, as hard as it's going to sound to you, God will not be used and abused by us. He's the Lord. And we treat him as though he had a low self-esteem. As though God somehow, some way, desperately needed our approval. American Christianity is so jacked up. And that's the difference between first century Christianity and modern Christianity. We treat God as a commodity when he's God. And he's not a commodity. He is the Lord or a liar. He either is the Lord of all. By definition, God is the loftiest, most important word we have in our dictionary. But for some reason, we feel like we can pull him out of our back pocket and put him back in according to how we feel. Today is an incredible day because there's water in front of you, number one. If anyone wants to get baptized, we could just do it now. But the most important thing is because these people here, they had, a, they had an experience and they built an altar. And they said, this is something we'll never do. We won't use the ark of God or the presence of God for our own gain, for our own benefit. They knew that if they were to do that, it wouldn't work. See, the ark of God was taken for 20 years. They didn't have the presence of God with them. Do you know why they didn't have the presence of God with them? It wasn't because God didn't want to be with them. We said he didn't want to be used, but he wanted to be with them. He wanted relationship with his people. Listen, the ark of God was not with them because of lack of repentance, not because of lack of desire from God. 
For 20 years, they refused to repent. For 20 years, they worshiped idols. Here is where this message, I promise you, you may hate me or this message will bless your life. The thing is that we love idols and we have idols in our lives. And unless you recognize which are your idols, you will always bow before those and not before God. I one time can tell you this, had to surrender to God my children. Wow, what are you talking about, Pastor? Yeah, my kids became an idol to me. The only reason, the only thing, the one thing, all the time, in my mind, my worry, my concern. I want to give them what I didn't have kind of thing. And that is wrong in so many levels. These are not idols. Anything that you have competing with God immediately becomes an enemy of God. Now, I'm not saying your kids are hated by God. But when you idolize your own children, when you idolize a relationship, a girl, a guy, an ex, there's a problem. Does that make sense? When you start idolizing a person, I don't care if it's a singer or a pastor, or, or it doesn't matter who it is. Idolization, it's idolization. You are an idolater if you have idols. So what makes someone an idol? Uh, let me ask you, Anthony, because today we have this intimate setting. What is an idol? What constitutes an idol? See, because the way I grew up, an idol has to be this image that my grandma had, you know, on, on her walls. But what is an idol? Something that you're looking out to? Yeah, okay. So are your teachers idols? Maybe, maybe not. No? Okay, okay, okay. So is it someone you look up to? Is that the definition? Okay, okay, okay. Um, what if I told you that Whitney can become an idol? Ooh, a good-looking idol for you, yeah? Okay, okay, okay. They're engaged. They want to get married. Um, but at what point does she become an idol? Because you can look up to her and you can love her. But at what point do you think she crosses that line? That's the key. When you put her above God. And that's crazy because we would never do that. In theory. Oh, but we do that in practice so often. I know people that idolize their car, believe it or not. Don't touch my car. Don't do anything to my car. At the service of God, no way. This is my car. It's even part of their identity. I had a friend uh, who lived for his car. He, he, everything was his car. There's people that do that with their jobs, with their money. There's people that do that with their, strange as this is going to sound, really, honestly, even with their culture. It's all about being this culture. It's all about being American or about being Mexican or about being black or about being white or about being, it's all about this. And this is this, this ridiculous thing that we put above the culture of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So the question I would love to ask for, for us, you know, maybe soccer, Chris. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. No, you know, no really. A sport, people idolize a sport and they won't even go to church because guess what? America's playing against Chiva, you know, Chivas or, or, or you know, or they, or they, they really do idolize. We, we can be very idolatrous. As a people, we're made to worship whether we like it or not. I remember when I was at university, they had this, we did this tests and, and they had all this research done, not Christian universities, just about, about different worships and, and different styles and different cultures. So people that don't know God also worship. Everyone worships. Whether we like to admit it or not, everyone worships. Have you been to a concert? I mean, a concert that's not like a Christian, just a concert. Have you seen the amount of worship going on there? It's insane because worship really, truly is praise, right? I'm praising that. I'm raising that up above me. And so when you think about our idols, what are the idols of our lives? I mean, genuinely, do I have an idol? What is your idol? 
Can your spouse become an idol? Can, can your friends even become an idol? We can become so addicted to the approval of somebody that we care more about their approval than the approval of God. Am I making sense that what my friend thinks about me is more important than what God thinks about me? I know, I know that I'm telling you this, in Christianity, even church can become something that we start idolizing in the culture of it. This is not what we're about. It is about, today we will ask questions because in an intimate setting, you have a question. That's the standard. The problem is not God, it's religion. So when we are all about religion, it's an issue. When you're about God, it should lead you to love others more. It should lead you to be more efficient and effective in your life. It should show. Does that make sense? Because if really you're about God, then God is about people. Does that make sense? So I think a lot of the times when you see somebody just about God, 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 but there's no life lived out, maybe what God are they really talking about? Because the God we know sent his son to die for the rest of the people. Does that make sense? So great question. I know that today is, an, is, a, is a day that, like, we can do these things. I actually miss this. When the first church began, we would do the kind of the sermons like these. But I'm telling you guys, it's, it's really, 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 really simple. The first thing is this, is do we know where we've fallen? Do we know where we messed up? Do we know how, if we've been using God or not? Number one. Number two, are we idolizing things or people? So this is where I like to take a simple pause Simple, simple break and ask you a genuine question. What stands above God in your life? And you may say, no, nothing, Pastor. No, no, no. If that's the case, it should show in all of our lives. It'll permeate your finances. It'll permeate your relationships. If God truly is the focus of our lives, it'll show in your pride and your ego or lack thereof. I know because the one who enthrones the heart of a prideful man is usually not God. My mom would always ask me when I would be fighting with my brother, who's in the throne of your life? And I'd be like, that's a dumb question. <laughs> you see, because I can never answer the Lord is. It was all about me. Yesterday, Eoni and I were driving, and we were about to pull into this exit or this entrance, and I missed it. I was just doing whatever a guy does, and I could only do one thing at a time. So anyway, so Eoni was talking to me, and I was like, I stopped breathing because I was listening to her, you know? So anyway, so I kind of pulled back out, came back in, and as soon as I came in, this huge accident had just happened. Car flipped over. It was insane. Um, we run out, like, um, we're trying to help this guy, trying to break this window, trying to get this older man out of this car. And, and here's what happened. I got myself in trouble because I tried to get in there and I tried to help the man. But when we tried to help the guy, his leg was caught. So now his body falls on me, and if, we, if I move, then his leg breaks because he's like literally hanging from his knee, hyperextended. So now I'm stuck under this car for about 30 minutes while the people are using the jaws of life. I'm like, can I move? They're like, nope, please don't move. Hang in there, man, hang in there. So I'm sitting, no, no, no. I know, wow, I was like, great. What did I get myself into, you know? I was like, Eoni, are you recording? I'm just kidding. No, no, no. She wasn't even there. It was in, she was there, but she was like in the car. They pulled the cars away, you know? And so it was in, I was like under this. I was like literally this man. And this guy, listen to this. This guy's like pooping on himself because he's older and he's scared and he's, he's going through this. I know. You guys say, oh. I said, oh. Right? It was, it was wild because, you know, we were underneath. My leg is cramping. I have a torn ACL on the left one. So I'm like pushing, pulling. And it was so weird because, like, how did I get myself in this position in no time, no way? And I realized this. I was like, as I was sitting there, this older man was there. And I looked down, check this out, and I see beer bottles, open beer bottles all over the ground. Now, okay, I'm inside this car with glass all over, older man up here. I'm trying to hold him up because he's flipped here. His legs caught underneath in between the brake. And I'm trying to hold him up for, like, now 30 minutes. My back's killing me. I'm hurting. And I look around, and I see all these empty bottles. 
Now, what do you think goes through my mind? I should just drop this man right here. <laughs> Forget this guy. This guy got himself in that position. And I felt, I, you know what? I, I didn't feel angry. I didn't feel mad at him. I felt the first thing I thought, I was like, man, this is exactly, I'm not even playing. See, I've been working on this message. I didn't know God was going to work it like that. But I thought this is how God loves us. He sees how we get ourselves in consequences. We make ourselves, get ourselves in so much trouble, and the Lord is still willing to hold us up and say, I'll wait with you. I'll hold on here. Does that make sense? Now, the cool thing about that, the cool thing about that is that eventually, you know, the guy, they cut everything out. We were able to get out. Everything was cool. And, um, and uh, as, as we were leaving, Eoni was just, we were just talking about it, and she was just saying how, I was telling her this whole thing, and she was saying, man, it, God is so patient with you. He's so patient with us. He should just leave us. Really, he should just let us to our own fate. But you know what God did with these people? Listen to this. He came back the moment they repented. Like the moment they turned from their idols. After 20 years of idolatry. 20 years of unfaithfulness. I don't know if it sinks in. But 20 years of someone being unfaithful to you. And hurting you. And back and forth. And treating you like second class. And then they repent, and the Lord, guess what he does? He comes right back into their life, loves them, forgives them. They got themselves in that issue. They were the ones that drank those bottles. Does that make sense? They got themselves in it. And I'm thinking here, seriously, I'm thinking, Lord, how are you that good? I ignore you. I treat you like an other idol. See, because these people didn't throw away God. They only put him with the other gods. You don't have to throw away God to hurt God. You just have to put him in a category where he belongs with everything else. That annuls him from being God. By definition, he's an idol if he's not your top, your priority, your everything. That is the hardest part about Christianity that we don't like to preach because it offends people in our nation. We want our culture. We want our success. We want our dreams, our hopes. We want to hear that we are the rock stars. At the end of the day, God is the star. We are the supporting actors. We are the ones truly and genuinely saying, Lord, this is yours, not mine. You know what makes me most angry about messages like these? Is that I have to change. And if I don't, as a pastor, if I don't change things in my life, I'll be liable for what I'm teaching you. Ten times more, so it's a scary thing. Here's the cool thing about that, though. But if I do change, I'm so blessed. If you do change, if you say, God, what are my idols? I don't care how godly you think you are, how pious you are, how much Bible you read. I don't care how many times you read it from cover to cover or if you just simply are a devoted man of the book. If you are not, if you're an idolater, you're an idolater. End of the story. If you're an idolatress, you're an idolatress. End of the story. Not popular, but is what we need to hear today. I didn't want to preach it because I knew because of baptism, so new people would come to the first service. So I was like, I don't want to preach that message, call people idolaters, and then, then what are we going to do? Who are we going to consolidate? You know what I mean? But here's the truth. The truth is this, is that unless we stop idolizing, unless we stop with the idolatry, God could never truly bless us. Never truly bless us. You think, well, I thought he loved us. I have two boys. One is five years old, and one is one and a half. If I bless my children in the middle of disobedience, in Spanish, we called it malcriar. Malcriar means spoil your children. We feel like God should spoil us. We feel like God should bless us in the midst of our idolatry and disobedience. And God will never do that. He just can't. It's against his good nature. Have you guys ever been around kids? 
that you think, why isn't that parent doing something about it? Yes? No? Just stick around me for a little bit. You'll see what I'm talking about. That's kidding. No, 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 no. No, and you're thinking, what? And then our excuse is always, oh, he's tired. He's tired. He's keying my car. What do you mean he's tired? You know, he's 18. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's just tired. And like, it, that's our, isn't it parents' excuse? Isn't our excuse he's tired? I use it all the time, right? But you know what? what? Okay, it's easy to say, well, because it's your kid. It's not my kid. But all of us parents know, those that have children, we know the struggle is real. And we know when a kid is tired, the kid is tired. And you got to give them space and you feel guilty for it. But check this out. This is the truth, though. We, as parents, must learn to discipline our children. Otherwise, they'll suffer the consequences, not only with the police, and, no, with their own friends, with their own people around them. They won't be people that people don't want to be around. People won't even want to hold your child because the child's always tired. Does that make sense? But if you actually help your child become kind and sharing and loving and caring and realize that they're not the idol, then you're blessing that kid's life. Am I making sense with that? Even if you get nothing else from this, I pray your kid is blessed by this one day. But listen, here's the thing that happens with us as children of God. We think that it's about us. And God is really trying to bring discipline, trying to bring structure to our lives, trying to help us have faith and break down the idols, not just so that he can bless you, because he already loves you and wants to bless you, like I said, but so that you can also be blessed and be a blessing to people around you. If you actually understand today one simple thing, and that is that God wants you to build here today your Ebenezer, a place where you can say, I want to leave my idols behind, a place where you can say, I won't want to go back and use God the way I was using him. And number three, which is he has helped me thus far. So to remember how good God has been, to remember that God has been so kind and so good to us that I'm telling you this, if you just realize you should be dead, some of you, should not be here. But God's kindness has led you to this chair. I promise you that. Some of us should not be here. We really shouldn't, either in prison or dead, or honestly, out being self-centered, doing the thing that we were doing before. Not making sense. I used to fight a lot. I, I love fighting. And I, honestly, I still kind of do. Um, you know, I, there's, there's something inside of me that liked the conflict. and the, the I think that's why jujitsu really appealed to me. But then I realized that it all had to do with pride. A lot of fights, listen to this, it had a lot to do with pride. Because when I was younger, I was smaller, and we got a lot of fights, and my brother and people around and where I grew up, Mexico City. It was really cool, nice and peaceful. <laughs> so later, fighting became this thing that I liked to do even in high school and all that. But check this out. At the root of every fight, I think pretty much every fight, because I wish I could tell you I fought to defend my honor and my family. It was, it was pride, always pride. What'd you say? Are you looking at me? Hand to the mouth. Oh, and then the fight breaks out. It's true. You guys know the oh guy? Oh, never fights. Just oh, like this. Like your mom. Oh, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, every, the first day in this country, I got it was horrible. First day I got sent back to school, I was the immigrant kid that bit kids for no reason, you know? They told me I was your mama joke, and I don't do mama jokes, you know? And so anyway, so I realized is that all my conflicts as far as fighting had all to do with pride. All of it. All of it. I mean, my pride, it was my ego. It was me, 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 me. You know who my idol was? Pablo. Now, of course, I didn't think I was good looking. I didn't think I was this. I didn't think I was that. I just, I just thought I was, listen, I just thought I was worthy of respect. And this is crazy. This is wild because I idolized me in an area that you will not disrespect me. You will not touch me. You know, the moment I truly surrendered my life to God, when people would disrespect me, 
Ask the disciples, ask my wife, don't get mad. Feel free to disrespect, I'm not playing. It's almost like backfires quickly. Because there's no idol there that you, you can touch it, it's okay. It's not an idol, it's just a figure. Try to touch somebody's idol, my grandma in Tasco, Mexico. She got so angry at some lady trying to clean the house because she moved the idol. She moved her, her, her santo. No me muevas el santo. No toque mi santo. Don't touch my saint. And I was like, grandma never talked loud until you touch her idols. And I was like, Snapple. Do people do that with Do we get angry when somebody touches my idol? Don't touch this part of my life. Don't talk about that part. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about, talk about finances. Don't talk about finances. Okay, fine. I won't touch your idol. I'm talking about the boyfriend. Ah, the boyfriend. I know I won't touch her idol. He may beat her, but she still doesn't want anybody touching him. It's wild. You know, I learned never to get into, because as a pastor, sometimes people call you when there's like domestic violence. And then you step in. And this is what I used to do. I used to try to muscle into it. Or one time in El Monte, I got called in. And honestly, I was trying to choke this guy out. And the, the, the girlfriend was there. And then she started trying to hit me. I was like, this guy was beating you. And I'm trying to stop this guy from, like, hurting you. And you're trying to hurt me. Let him go. You're hurting him. I was like, he was hurting you. I'm sad. I said, I'm done. I'm not playing. I literally, I said, you know what? That's it. You guys can do whatever you want. You just kill each other. Whatever you want. This is El Monte. Crazy El Monte. I love El Monte. Right? And it was just like, you guys do whatever you want. I'm not, I was so mad. I was like, are you serious? Then it hit me. Now, of course, I wish I had wording for it, but it hit me. Oh, I get it. It doesn't matter how bad your idol is. It's still your idol. Doesn't matter how evil, how bad, how horrible, how much it hurts your body, hurts your mind, it's still an idol. You see, because that's what an idol does. It seems good, but it ends up destroying you. God, to the contrary, sometimes doesn't seem like it's good, at least not at the time, because it's honestly trying to stop you from living for you. But the moment that God starts really being God in your life, it starts blessing your marriage. That's the answer. Priscilla starts helping you as a father, as a son, as a daughter. Does that make sense? It starts actually blessing your life. I promise you this. Some of you in here would not want to be fathers unless the Lord sits in the throne of your life. This is why. Because your children deserve to see a man who is not about him. But is about something greater than that. It's offensive. I know. It's not nice, I know, but it's a blessing to you and to your family. So I'm going to close with something very, very simple. And it's, it, it seems not hard to do at all, but it's actually very difficult. But it's simple, but difficult. It's not complicated, but it's simple. What is Ebenezer? Ebenezer says, up until this place, God has been with me. The recognition of the goodness of God will always lead you back into relationship with him. Whenever there's a broken relationship, we work a lot in marriages, a lot. Since I was 17, I told you guys, I didn't even have a girlfriend back then. And I was already trying to help people out with marriages. It's ridiculous. But one thing I learned early on, when the marriage is really struggling and they're really hurting, I ask them to make a list. And um, I'm not going to ask for examples here. But if you were to sit with me in a counseling meeting, at least the first one, I would say this week, every night, you're going to write down one thing that this person is good, or that you love about, or that you had before, that, or that you could appreciate about the person. But nothing. I know, I know, I know, you can't find nothing. But just for tonight, just one thing. Don't show it to her, don't show it to him. It's your own list. And they do that every night. They write something good. They write something good. Then the next day, another good thing. They, even if they get in a fight, even if they're trying to bite each other's faces off, just, just write something. And then they'll write something the next day. 
Then the week after that, I get together with that couple. They have their own list. They come in with their swords drawn. They're still ready to fight like always. And then very soon after we start eating in Cheesecake Factory, where we're eating, I ask, okay, great. So I asked you guys for some homework. Did you bring it? If they did not bring it, I'll wait another week. And we won't talk about marriage. We'll just eat our food and then we go. But if they did bring it, then I ask them to bring the list out. And then I ask, usually the more prideful one usually is the, the man. And I ask him to start with one thing and to read one good thing about this girl. And he'll say it. Well, um, yeah, I, actually, I actually like how she, she cooks the beans. She do, nobody does them as good as she does. <laughs> and then the girl's like, oh, really? Like, I thought you hated my beans. You know, no, I really like it. I'm not even, it, it's, like, it's like clockwork, man. And then she'll say something. Well, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I like how he looks without a shirt when he's wearing his jeans only and no shirt around the kitchen. <laughs> You know, I thought you said it was fat. No, I like your fat. I'm not even playing every time, and it just goes one, one, one. You know what? That day, and I ask him, when was the last time you had a day like this? It's been years. It's been years. The next step would be, if it's really critical, we ask them to go back to the place where they used to go when they were in love. Maybe, to, you know, go back to their honeymoon place or go back where they used to date. Because we understood something in Revelations. It says, I have one thing against you. You do all these good things. But you have, have one thing against you is that you have forsook your first love. You lost the thing that made you you at first or made us us at first. I think that's what happens with God. We have really short-term memory for his goodness, for his kindness. We don't build enough altars for him. We build altars for other things. Oh, I remember you did this because this reminds me. This is my song. My song, it reminds me. No, no, no. How about if you have a song for God? I'm not playing. How about if you have something where you say, that's where God got me to. I remember God has been so good up until this point. And so I'm going to be an altar. My altar will be here. Does that make sense? I'm going to actually build a place like the 9-11, uh, the Washington Memorial. Does that make sense? I'm going to build a memorial. And this is where I'll remember. I finished with one last testimony. I struggled a lot financially at a specific time in my life. And when I say a lot, it may not be a lot compared to somebody living in Ethiopia. But for our country, for our nation, I felt a lot of weight. I was young. I had my company. And I lost a lot of money. My company made a lot of money at first. But I remember one week I had to come up with $35,000. And if I didn't come up with $35,000, a lot of negative things would happen. Not only was I going to be reported to the Better Business Bureau, see, because all my shipment was broken. Everything I sent out broke. All the cargo I sent. And that time, they say, oh, you have insurance. Don't worry about it. Yeah, how long is it? 48 days. 48 days. Nobody waits 48 days. Yeah, sorry. That's how much it's going to take. And I was like, okay, thanks. So I was praying. You know, I felt a lot of weight. We had to pay rent at the house. I had to pay my employees. I had to pay advertising. All these things. I had to... Have you guys ever felt a hole in your stomach, like the empty space, the pit, and you're like, mm, like you see a phone call you don't want to answer, you're like, mm. or you want to, you owe something, or you feel like, it just sucks, it just feels really bad when you can't pay something, and you know it's coming up, and you feel nervous, I remember feeling that feeling, and I have, I have this, this, this memorial that I don't talk about, but my memorial is these ugly pleather chairs that they use in offices, like the one in my office, that's not really leather, it's pleather, and it cracks in the corners. And you know what I'm saying? It smells weird. If you really get down on it, you get on your knees, and your forearms begin to sweat because it's not leather. You know, it's like it's just nasty. But these squeaky chairs, to me, are memorials. Because there's that day in my shop where I got down on my knees, and I said, it was a Monday. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I, we've used you before. I literally said these things. I have been using you. 
Because in this business, I thought we were being blessed because of the things I was doing. And yeah, we bless people, but at the end of the day, you're not the Lord of this business. I've been the Lord of the business. And I asked God for forgiveness. Can I tell you that Monday, I said, how am I ever going to come up with this money? By Thursday, I had made $38,000 in one week. Never in the history of my life had I made thirty-eight grand in one week. That week, I was beyond blessed. Why do I tell you this? Why do I say this to you about that specific situation? Not the money, but the chair. Every time, ask my wife, that I have had financial trouble, I go back to those ugly, squeaky little chairs. I don't go pray at a couch. I don't go pray at an altar. I build my altar. My altar is the chairs. I have one in my office. When this church, in the beginning especially, had been through financial troubles, these chairs were purchased with the last cents of our savings account with Aoni and I. We were in trouble. We didn't get paid for months. Mikey knows that. Months on end. And you know where we would go? I would go back to the squeaky chair every single time. Get on my knees, get on my altar. I say, you know why? Can I tell you why? Because that chair reminded me, not of 38 grand, but of God who was able to provide the impossible. The God who was so faithful at that place, I said, oh, I know where I can go. Because from there, I know God has been good up to here. You see, that's what we need. We need places, moments, people that will remind us, God has been good to you, hasn't he? He has been good. Can you remind somebody at some point, God has been good to you, hasn't he? But we're so quick to say, well, what has God done for you lately, right? Or we're so quick to even say, well, you got to do it yourself. You got to try. Remember how good? No, no, no. How, what has God done? Has God not been faithful? Has God not gotten you out of enough situations already? Can you trust him for one more? Amen? For single girls right here, right now, I tell you, come on. God has been good to you so far. God has been so good. I promise you he's been so good. But if you start getting desperate trying to muscle your way through this one, it won't work. It will not work. I tell you right now, God has been good to you. So I'm going to ask you guys to do this. Would you please stand up with me for a second? I was going to tell you the whole backstory of Ichabod. Instead, I remember this quote from Tommy Tenney. He says, do not put a period wherever God has placed a comma. Meaning we, try to th we think sometimes that our situations are hopeless or people or, or you know, a certain circumstance, but there's no hopeless situations, only hopeless people, people that lose hope. But I think one of the greatest sources of hope is honestly where God has led us through. One verse, one chapter of the Bible that I'm trying to teach my son every night, every single night, I go back into this chapter. I'm trying to teach him an entire chapter of the Bible. He's only five, and he's learning it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me down green pastures, right? And in Spanish it's, el, um, por lugares delicados pastos me descansar, right? Okay, so this is one, one that I really want him to learn. But there's one piece, one specific piece part I don't know if you guys if you guys have thought about this but whenever we say psalms we say them by memory but do you say them by heart like really by heart do you know scripture if you do what verses come up to your heart no 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 oh, I memorize no I'm not talking about memorizing like you did in psychology class to try to pass it or in history I'm talking about you know the word you know that you know that you know the word. It's like, that's my word. And that's, that's, that's something that's here in my heart. That's, that's something I built an Ebenezer around. What are those words that you have? Otherwise, you're very quick to go back and backslide and go beyond and before that point. 
Anthony, build altars. Ryan, build altars. Asia, build altars. Make sense, Maria. You have to be able to build those altars and say, up to this place, God has been faithful. This is what the word has said to me, and that's what the word will do. Again and again and again, God will follow through. Amen? Close your eyes. Let me pray that God would help you break idols, idols in your life. Too long, way too long. I feel like some of us in here, way, way, way too long, we've been at the center of our lives, and we wonder why it's so jacked up. I've met filthy rich people. I'm talking about filthy rich that will tell you the exact same thing. Why am I here? I've climbed the ladder, but I feel like I'm at the, at the top of the wrong building. Over and over and over and over, I hear people who are Christian, but they don't have a relationship with God. Who go to church, but they have idols all the time. I've met pastors. With your eyes closed, let me tell you this. There's pastors that idolize even the ministry. And their lives and their children show it. Their family's falling apart. Their church is falling apart. And my heart breaks for these well-intended pastors. Because I realize that even ministry can really be an idol. So today, I, I'd like to join you in praying with your eyes closed so that you don't judge and think it's about somebody else. The only reason I don't close my eyes is I don't trip over this thing. But if you just close your eyes for a second and ask God to help you today build an altar here. That God will help you to build an Ebenezer. That you would say up until this point God has been so good. Some of you shouldn't be even in this nation. I shouldn't be in this country. I don't know what the Lord would have done but I'm so glad I'm here. Some of you in here perhaps... Perhaps you'd say, man, you don't know my life. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I'm about. I don't. I really don't. And I don't want to pretend I do. But God does. God knows you. He loves you. He created you for an incredible, incredible purpose. He's given you so much. And why do I know that? Because he's the same giver that gives me and a lot more people. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, to repent. I know it's a strange word for some of you. But to repent, to really break your heart before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry if I've used you, if I treated you as a spiritual ATM, if I only come to you when I'm desperate or when I want someone or want something. Forgive me, God, for treating you like some commodity of my life when in reality you are life. I ask you, God, for forgiveness. Would you please join me in a prayer of repentance if you have idolized? A lot of people think that ministry comes out of learning or doing something right it comes out of your heart for God it comes out of how you love the Lord ask him for forgiveness would you please say God forgive me if any of you would like to use your chair as an altar you can do that or if you want to bow or whatever if you want to stand that's totally fine but I just, or raise your it's up to you but I invite you to just really say God I'm sorry Lord forgive me forgive me God for for building uh, for creating idols in my life. I'm sorry, God, if I've used you. Forgive me, God, for using you. Lord, forgive me, God, for, for taking you for granted many times. Forgive me, Lord, if I have, if I have treated you as, as, as something that I can just use. 
Maybe you've been blessed or, or God's been blessing you with, with friendships and relationships or a good family. But this is the great moment where you could say, God, may I never build an idol out of a blessing. God, forgive me if I have made a blessing an idol. Please forgive me, God, if I have turned that which you have given to me against you, if I've used it against you, if it stopped me from growing closer to you. May a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a child would never, ever, ever, a pastor, a leader, a cell, would never become a reason why you're not growing closer to God. To the contrary, may these things draw you closer to God. I declare you right now, man and a woman of God, I declare that you're the kind of person that breaks the ashtaras. You're breaking the, 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 those idols. See, the people of Israel were never blessed until they broke the idols. Pride is an idol. Break the pride. Break the idol of pride. Break it in the name of Jesus before it breaks your relationships apart. Break it before it breaks your future. Break pride. Break pride. Break pride. The Bible says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he shall lift you up. Break ego right now. Dear God, I pray right now that every person in here that questions you, that says, well, I don't know if I believe, God, forgive them, please, for putting their own mind as higher and above your ways. God, I ask you right now that you take laziness away from people, that even the comfort, the king of comfort will be taken out of our lives, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that if there's someone here that recognizes that they've used you, that they can truly repent and say, God, I am sorry for using you, Lord. You are not going to be used by me anymore, God. Use me, Lord. I want to be used by you. Help me, God, to have a relationship with you, God. Help me, God, to surrender, to help, to, to help myself have a relationship with you. God, change my life. Please forgive me, God. Some of you have gotten so angry at situations, and, and it's almost rebellious. And it is because you are the idol. You're sitting in the throne of your life. You won't be, nobody will tell you a thing. If you're anything like I was in that moment of my life, nobody could say anything because I knew better. It's such a scary place to be. It's such a scary place to be. Anyone near me, I would rather them run for the hills. Spirit of God, break pride right now. Like, I don't care. Honestly, I really don't care if one of you here gets angry or ten of you. But if just one of you repents, just one of you says, I want to turn my face back to you, God. I'm sorry for building idols in my life. Making my job an idol, or my career, my success, my body, even my family, God. Would you be the Lord of my life? Please be my God again. I put you in the center, God. Let my life spring forth from you, Lord. Be the source. You've asked God for blessings, but I ask you now. Is he God or is he an idol too? If you want God to work as God in your life, put him in the place that he deserves. Spirit of God, move please. Move in this place. Come back. Let the ark, the presence of God come into our prayer, back into our devotional lives, back into our cells, back into our times of worship, back into our times of prayer, of praise, back into our families, into our relationships. Destroy these religious mindsets that think 
that just because you go through motions, it's going to change things. It is you alone. You alone, God. You alone. It is about you. It's about you, God. It's about you. Show yourself strong, God. I thank you because you are still the God of Israel. You're the God of America. You're the God of our nation. You're the God of our families. Break whatever is breaking our relationship with you. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer, and it's a scary prayer. I didn't want to do it because I don't know if, if you would want to, but for those of you that want to pray this prayer, where you say, God, whatever it is that you need to do, help me to break those idols. Take whatever you need to take. Do whatever you need to do. You have full permission, full access to my life, God. I want to grow closer to you, God. I never want to be a day without your presence. These people were 20 years without you. I don't want to walk down that path. God, I build an altar here now. God, I, I build a memorial now that I will not go back because you've been faithful. You've been good to us. You've been so kind to every person in this room. Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I tell you right now, do whatever you need to do, Lord, but bring us back to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Again. Give God a round of applause for just a second real quick. Um, I'm going to invite you guys to do something kind of crazy. Um, I, I bought a Bible. It needs to be applicable. By the way, I'm ending right on time. That's amazing. That's a miracle. But I bought a Bible a long time ago. I invested money into it. It's a leather-bound book. That I, I lost about seven iPads already, and I, you know, praise God for the cloud sometimes. It's good, except when you don't use it. Um, so uh, have a seat really quick. I'm going to ask you guys to be applicable now, to be actually able to do this. So I'm going to ask you, just as you've invested into something, invest into your own Bible. Let me tell you why. Because when you do that, when you have personal investment... It's kind of cool. It's kind of like when you, uh, how do I say, um, have you guys ever had like your car really dirty and you don't care about it that much, but then you clean it and you have it like super clean. You pay, pay like $47, not 37 You know what I mean? Like you're like, wow, and then you're like, I love this car and you appreciate it so much more. That's exactly what happens with your spiritual life. If you're not investing into your spiritual life, it's just this old dirty car. Am I making sense? Invest into your walk with Jesus. What have you done lately to strengthen the relationship with God? With my wife, can I tell you one secret because she's not here. This is, I promise you, it'll bless your marriage. If you're married, if you have a girlfriend, it'll bless you too. Or when you do, write it down. Listen, when I feel this, like, like something is off, like in a relationship, something's not, it doesn't have to be big. Listen, I go and I invest into my wife. Whatever I can, whatever I have, even go above and beyond, I invest into her. I'm talking about financially, gifts, whatever it is, or even time. I, sacrifice. I should have met with five people that day, but instead I cancel them all and I say, I'm just going to invest into my wife today. You know what that does? I think it's going to get her to appreciate me. It's ridiculous what happens. I start appreciating her. They're like, well, reverse psychology. I get it. It, it works every time, every time. I told you guys what violent contradictions are. A violent contradiction works. It's when you got the enemy's trying to do something and you attack back. And instead of, like, you know, instead of 
you know, giving into that, that ego, that pride, you just go completely the opposite direction. Like if you feel something negative against somebody, instead of dogging them, you go and give them your best cologne. I don't know, you know, you go, honestly, you go and share a compliment with them. Like if a girl, oh, she's wearing the same thing. Man, that looks awesome. It looks better on you than me. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but it's the violent contradiction that you can really say, Lord, like, help me break that away. So this is what I invite you guys to do. Of course, nobody's forced to do jack squat here, but... Invest into a word. Invest into a Bible. But I already have the Bible. And, and the, No, 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 no. Invest into your Bible. Something you have tangible that say up to this point, God has been good. This is my reminder that I got I to gotta love them. I got to care about them. You know, I like tools and I buy a lot of tools. I invest into tools. That's my investment because then I do jobs and then I get money from that. All right, right? I got a welder and I got my first welding job. So see how it works. It works. It's like, whatever. You just wanted it. So I invite you guys to invest into the most important tool, and that's your word of God. Is that cool? God bless you guys. We'll see you guys soon, and peace out.